So this is episode 61. 61. And what are we talking about today, Mike? Okay. Today we're talking about my two favorite girl groups from the 60s. That would be the Ronettes and the Shangri-Las, both from New York City here. Uh, Ronettes from, like, Harlem area. And <laughs> You're not six feet apart. Uh, You're not six feet apart. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. You know, I'm with this guy so much that if he has the coronavirus, uh, I'm going to get it. You know, <laughs> I would have it already. But uh, we're talking about the Ronettes and the Shangri-Las. And Shangri-Las were from Queens, bad girls from Queens. Um, let's talk about the Ronettes first, okay, yeah. Rob? Uh, they had a pretty crazy history. I was surprised how many hits they got from such a short they, time. They, they, you know, for a year or two there, they were really big. Uh, you know, Be My Baby being the biggest one. Uh, their popularity would wane. But, you know, they continued to put out stuff even when the music world had changed. You know, yep. once the Beatles took over in 64, all of the vocal groups like the Ronettes and the Shangri-Las and, you know, even some of the R&B bands like, you know, not the Temptations, but some other bands couldn't compete up with. Everything was like this British sound yeah. that took over. Um, is that your phone? What is that? Okay. Um, what do you mean? No, I'm hearing a phone ringing. Doesn't matter. Uh, is that a phone? I'm hearing a phone ring, bro. Yeah. That got to be one of your other phones. Oh, it is my phone. Duh. Okay. <laughs> Never mind that. Okay. Sorry, people. A little minor distraction. I'm not even lumped up, but I'm stupid. I know. Man. I'm like, uh, yeah. I, did, I didn't see the thing saying it yet. Anyway. Uh, the Ronettes would be a trio of Veronica Bennett, who would be known as Ronnie Spector, uh, Estelle Bennett, which was her sister, and then their cousin, Nedra Talley. Um, originally, it was kind of a family band, yeah. um, and the family was very mixed. Uh, their father was an Irish guy from Washington Heights. Uh, their mother was black and Cherokee. Uh, Nedra Talley was black and Puerto Rican. And their great grandfather that they had, they shared, was all Chinese. So they were, yeah, they, they were a very mixed family early on. They were like the yeah. UN of the mixed um, family, and they've been watching to height. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, often people, the thing with the Ronettes is, is they couldn't figure out what they were. Some people thought they were Chinese. Some people thought they were black. Some people thought they were Hispanic. You could you couldn't tell, you and the way tell. you know because they would wear the makeup, it kind of made their eyes look Chinese in a yeah. way. You know, you couldn't tell what they were. And I think that worked for them in a yeah. way. Um, like I say, it started as a family act. Uh, they were called the Darling Sisters. But by 1957, Veronica uh, was 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 taking over, and she was you know just about 16 years yeah. old or so at that point uh, with the band. And they had two other cousins, Elaine uh, Elaine Mays and Diane Linton. Okay, would sing with them, and they often did three part harmonies with that lineup. Uh, Ronnie was obsessed with Frankie Lyman and the teenagers. She yeah. loved Frankie Lyman. She thought he was like the greatest singer ever. Um, and one time at the Apollo Theater, they were doing like an amateur talent show kind, yeah. of, kind of thing. And they added their cousin Ira as a male singer to their female thing. Yeah. To try to do like a Frankie Lyman and the teenagers thing. Yeah. And when, when uh, the band started... Uh, why do fools fall in love on stage Ira froze okay now they, they, he just nothing came out of his mouth he couldn't could say okay 
And uh, Ronnie, being the way she was, determined, strutted right over. And started and singing. belted it out and, and sang Why Do Fools Fall In Love. And the audience was so impressed by seeing this. They were cheering and everything. And, you know, it brought a lot of attention to them. Um, now, after that gig, Diane, Ira, and Elaine would leave the group. Uh, and then they were down to just, you know, the three, the cousin and the two sisters. Yeah. And they were called Ronnie and the Relatives yeah. at that point. And they would often play sock hops, bar mitzvahs, parties, whatever they could do. And they met a guy named um, Phil Halicus, who was associated with Stu Phillips, the producer at Colpix Records. Colpix asked them to come down and do an audition. They said, sure. It went over well. And they signed them to uh, a few singles. They would record four tracks called "I Want to Be," "I Want a Boy," a track called "What's So Sweet About Sweet 16," uh, "I'm Gonna Quit While I'm Ahead," and "My My Guiding Angel." And they would release those four songs on two singles uh, by January of '62. Uh, both singles bombed. Wow, bombed. They didn't chart at all. And uh, this was during the height or so of the twist craze. Okay, now the twist was Chuck uh, Chuck Bear, uh, Chuck Bear. Ba- uh, no, not no Chubby uh, uh, Checker. Chubby Checker. Chubby Checker. Okay, but there was also other people that that sang it. Uh, Joey D and the Starlighters, which was the, the the house band to the Peppermint Lounge. Okay, they had the Peppermint Twist. Okay. Okay, and uh, they would the, the girls were determined to get into the Peppermint Lounge, but they were too young. So one day, they dressed up. Making themselves look a lot older. Oh yeah. Okay, makeup. They had their hair done up, and they were outside the Peppermint Lounge when Joey D and the Starlighters was supposed to be playing that night. Um, the manager of the Peppermint Lounge mistook them for the backup singers for the Joey D and the Starlighters, <laughs> and just ushered them right in. And okay? that's it. And they put them on stage, and and even the Starlighters didn't know. Okay, and they actually you know sang a few songs with them. Uh, there was a, a, a version of uh, Ray Charles' What I Say that was, uh, you know, that Joey D used to do, and Ronnie and him did some trade-off vocals back okay. and forth, and it was a big hit. Uh, they were very popular. Now, they would, they would be known after that show as the Ronettes, and they would get a gig at the Peppermint Lounge at that point on. Because they okay. were good. Yeah, they were that good. Now, Colpix Records re-released these singles under the name The Ronettes. Okay, they still bombed. Didn't oh, yeah? For some reason, it just wasn't going anywhere. Um, Murray the K, who was uh, one of what was known as the WMCA good guys. WMCA was a rock and roll station. I think it was 5:40 a.m. here in the city, or 5:70, something like that. Uh, and Murray the K would do shows at what used to be called the Brooklyn Fox. It was a theater in downtown Brooklyn, uh, and. He had asked them if they wanted to play a gig in 1962 at the Brooklyn Fox. Um, they said sure, and this was the gig. The first gig they played for them, uh, played with them at the Brooklyn Fox, was when they had invented their look. And the Ronettes were known for having gigantic beehives. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they had the makeup that was real, like exotic looking. Um, and you couldn't tell they were you couldn't black, tell Chinese, you, right. so. you couldn't tell what they looked like. Look up these early pictures of the Ronettes. You look at them and you go, wow. You and know, they all look a little bit alike. Well, they kept it they, because, you know, they were trying to be a unified unit, you know. So um, 
they would do a bunch of shows at the Brooklyn Fox. It would get a lot of attention. The, sh- the people would go wild over them. Um, but it was around this time that uh, uh, they were getting fed up with Colpix. All right. Because Colpix wasn't really doing anything for them. They were releasing these singles, but it wasn't going anywhere. And Estelle, okay, uh, actually called up producer Phil Spector. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Get now he was associated with Mirror Sound Studios in New York City at that point. Yep. And he mentioned to them in the phone call that he'd seen them at the Murray the K shows at the Fox. So and he, he liked was impressed. Them there. He was he he was very interested in them and the fact that they called him, he was extremely interested. So he asked them to come down to uh, Mirror Sound and do an audition. He would be on piano. And the audition went unbelievable because as soon as Ronnie started singing, and it happened to be Why Do Fools Fall in Love, because that was one of her favorites, right? Now, Ronnie started singing, and he stopped playing and said, this is the voice I've been looking for my whole life. You know what I mean? And this is what he's been looking to record with. Now, originally, he only wanted to sign Ronnie, okay? But... Their mom, Ronnie's mom, said, no, you have to sign the whole group yep. or there's no deal. So he gave in, and in March of 63, the Ronettes were signed to Spectre's Phyllis Phil label. And Phyllis was a label that he had uh, with a guy named, I think his name was Les Stillman or something like that. I forget. It, yeah. was a, it was a partner of his, and they had started this singles label together, and he actually bought them out. So he was like at like 25 years old. He was like the youngest record label owner in the country. That's, okay? that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Phil Spector's story, we should do a show on Phil Spector. We should, okay? though, but that's interesting. But that's that, that might be a two-parter because yeah. we, we got to talk about how he blew somebody's head off and he's sitting in jail right now, which is a shame. But, you know, shit happens. Uh, Spector, Jeff Barry, and Ellie Greenwich were the writing team, okay, for the Ronettes. And uh, they wrote a song called Why Don't They Let Us Fall In Love Kind of almost like a, a, a Frankie Lyman type song uh, They it was all the f- seem like Frankie Lyman type songs Early they ones were, They were like young pop songs Young pop songs, yeah But, put, but, but Phil, was, Phil was getting into this whole wall of sound thing Yeah Now th- that version of Why, Why Don't They Let Us Fall In Love Isn't like that too much But when you get into like Be My Baby yeah. And Baby I Love You And the other ones later you have this distinct sound. Yeah. Okay, and I'll, I'll go into that in a minute. But and it's all about baby. <laughs> there's always baby, baby in the song. Uh, Spectre brought them out to California to make the record, but then he wouldn't release it. Okay, he wouldn't put it out. And this would be a pattern yeah, with he... a lot of the Ronettes' music uh, that I think affected their career in a negative way. Uh, and really it was because Phil was obsessed with Ronnie. Yeah, he, he, he was in yeah. love with her. Uh, he would eventually get her and marry her and make her life absolutely fucking hell. Okay, we could talk about that in a little bit. But um, he had like a twenty-three room mansion just kept her there. Yeah, yeah. Which he wouldn't was let her leave. after they after they married. He wouldn't let her leave the house. It's a shame. She has a book called "Be My Baby" and uh, appropriately titled, and it's it's a great story about her life and the Ronettes and then her life with Spectre and how she finally gets away from him and. Uh, the first guy she bangs after Spectre is David Bowie. She has an affair with him. Believe that? <laughs> yeah. I think we talked about that. Yeah, I think I might have brought that up earlier. Um, they would record a few more songs, uh, including a cover of The Twist. Uh, but Phil ended up crediting these songs to The Crystals yeah. later on. And that's something that Phil did. Like, you know, these acts like The Crystals, 
the Ronettes, uh, a few others that he recorded out in L.A. at Gold Star Studios with the whole wall of sound. He controlled the name of the band, and he could yeah. put any three or four girls together and call it the Ronettes. He could put any three or four girls together and call it the Crystals. It didn't matter. Uh, and he did that sometimes, not letting certain people play. Very much a, you know, a control freak in that way. Um, Be My Baby was recorded in July of 63 and released as a single in August. Uh, it's another Spectre, Barry, and Greenwich written song. But it was a huge oh, hit. huge. It actually, you know, I was surprised it wasn't a number one. It got to number two. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I thought it was would, would have been a number one song, but it, it actually never did make it to number one. I don't know what was holding them back. I'm thinking maybe, maybe, not the Beatles, I'm not sure. It could have been did anything. Did they win a Grammy, these guys? No. 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 Uh, it was they were one of the first female bands to actually open up for the Beatles. Yeah, they would play with the Beatles and the Stones. Oh, they opened up for the Stones. Well, the Stones opened that. for them. Oh. Yeah, that's coming up. Uh, Dick Clark took an interest in yeah. the yes, And did. he brought them on his Caravan of Stars tour. Uh, and with that, they had incredible national exposure. Um, one inside side note I'm going to mention here, um, an interesting one, is that Sonny and Cher actually sing on Be My Baby. Oh, my God. Do they, yes. Are they backup? At backup, and it's the first time they were ever on anything. Wow. Okay, they, they hadn't even recorded their own stuff yet. Okay? Wow. And uh, they were just working with Phil Spector. Cher was becoming a backup singer, and she ended up uh, doing all the Ronettes backup eventually. And Sonny was writing for people uh, like Jack Nitch and stuff like that. Uh, if you know the song Needles and Pins, Sonny Bono wrote that song. Wow, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Needle and Pins. Right. Now, Baby I Love You would be the uh, the follow-up to Be My Baby. Uh, again, another Spectre Barry Greenwich pen but song. But it was also another big hit. Another big hit. Not quite as big. It would be make it to number 24. But it was still, but it was a, still a big hit. Yeah. Uh Darlene Love, Sonny and Cher were all brought in for the vocals. Um, only Ronnie actually sings as a Ronette. What was happening was the when they recorded Baby I Love You, the Dick Clark Caravan of Stars was on. And what they did was they actually, on tour, they, they had Estelle and Nedra, yep. and they brought back the other two cousins, okay, uh, what were their names? Elaine and uh, no, excuse me, the one cousin Elaine. Yeah. So you didn't have Ronnie on tour. She actually went back and they did some shows like that with, without Ronnie. Okay, but to record the baby, I love you. And sing, who was singing? Who was they had singing they, N- Nedra. Nedra. Nedra was singing yeah. the lead, and Elaine was singing the lead. Because I'm surprised they had a few people. They even had uh, Chip Fields. That's later on. Was, That's when they try to reunite, reunite in the early seventies. Yeah. That's later on. Um, now, when that Dick Caravan tour was closed, uh, the rest of the Ronettes were brought in to do the Christmas album called The Christmas Gift for You from <laughs> Phil Spector. Remember our Christmas yeah, show? We talked about that. That, that had, uh, had uh, what you call it, uh, Frosty the Snowman. Oh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It had, um, the, um, which is uh, the sleigh, one open sleigh. Sleigh ride, all that, yeah. all that, all that good I stuff. I thought that was weird. I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Yeah, Carlson. I thought that was weird. They, did all this, they only have one album out. Right? Oh, the Ronettes? Yeah. Uh, they would only have one album now. It wasn't even out yet at this point. Yeah. They only had one album their whole career. Yeah. One official album. Um, but they had singles. A lot of singles. And that album, the Christmas album, was actually released the day John F. Kennedy was assassinated, November 23rd, 1963. <laughs> wow. 
And over the, it wasn't popular at first, but over the years, that album has lasted as a classic. You hear it every holiday season. It's like a cult favorite. Yeah, definitely. Now, in January of 64, the Ronettes went to the UK for a tour. And on the first night, they met the Beatles. Uh, Ronnie and John Lennon became friends. And Estelle spent some time with George Harrison. And uh, But Ronnie's biggest thrill was meeting Keith Richards. And on this tour, the Stones were going to be opening for the Ronettes. I, I find that, like, dumbfounded. That's amazing, right? 1964. Yeah. The Ronettes were bigger than the Rolling Stones in England. But they did open up for uh, the Beatles, right, the Ronettes? Yeah, uh, they did play with them later on in 66. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was opening or, or what, or an equal building. Probably opening, I would think, by then. It got to be opening. It had to be by 66. Now, what's interesting is that uh, Ronnie and, and Keith had a little fling. Yeah. Keith Richards? Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. And in his book, the 2010 book called Life... Uh, Keith Richards says that um, he talks about in his book that the, the first time he went to heaven in his life was waking up with Ronnie Spector sleeping next to him with a smile on her face. <laughs> and Ronnie, Ronnie's, Ronnie's beautiful. She's still beautiful. She's in her 70s, but she's, she was beautiful then. Uh, and I could definitely dig what he's saying. I, mean, I could definitely relate. You know, it's cool. Uh, you hit that shit? Oh, yeah. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, she kissed me once. Where? On the cheek. When? At the Joey Ramone Circus of the Perverse in 1988. Wow. She was backup singing uh, on a couple of Ramone songs, and it was just like Joey. Lemmy was there. I've mentioned this show because I met Lemmy that night, but I met Ronnie. Wow. And, and we, and <laughs> you met Ronnie and Lemmy Ronnie's on one show? On one show, yep. And she. W this was about two years after... She had that hit with Eddie Money, Take Me Home Tonight. Oh, that's okay? a great song. And she was looking good. I mean, she was in her early 40s. Yeah. Okay? And uh, maybe late 40s, mid to late 40s. I remember that. Uh, take Me Home I remember home she was tonight. wearing, like, a, a, a silver short dress, and she had, you know, fantastic body. And I went up to her, and I was like, you know, I'm just a huge fan. And she's like, oh, thank you. And she gave me a little kiss on her cheek. And I was like, oh, uh, thank you. Okay. You were on Cloud9. I was on Cloud9, yeah. I was, <laughs> I was 19, man. Jeez, you know. Um, now, uh, the Stones did open for them on that tour. It was very successful. That's crazy. Now, with, with yeah. Richards having an affair yeah. with her, it has to be mentioned that during the tour, before they met each other, they weren't talking to each other on tour. Oh, no. And it was because... Before the tour started, Spectre put a call in and told the Rolling Stones management, said, keep them away from her. Oh, my God. Okay. And they were afraid. They didn't know. you know. They, they, so they didn't talk to them at first, the Ronnie's yeah. at all. And then they were like, one day, Ronnie says, what's the matter with you people? Don't you want to like talk with us? He, you know how she yeah. is. She's very vocal. And he's like, and, don't say, no, we can't and talk Yeah, and Mick Jagger said something like, well, we were told not to talk to you. And they were wow. like, what? You know, and they ended up having a big party. And then she had an affair with Richards. She probably banged Mick, too. Well, Mick, yeah. <laughs> probably. Mick, get, in, Mick gets everybody. That's in the contract. Yeah. <laughs> that's, in their, that's in their rider in the dressing room, what they need in there. Oh, she might have put in the contract. because It was them opening. It was the voice opener for her. But he said, you got to bang me. Maybe. Because she, she was a feisty girl. Yeah, she was feisty. Do you remember when she went on the Howard Stern Channel 9 show? No. 
there was one there was one episode of the Howard Stern Channel Nine, so where Ronnie Spector came on, and she did "Be My Baby," but they were changing the words around. It was like turn, it was like turning into like a dirty song. Oh and, my god! And then, she, and then she was just like, uh, and then she was wearing like this leopard outfit. I remember, and uh, she looked great. You know, yeah. and she was talking about how she had her first kid when she was forty. You know, I remember that. Um, after the tour, the girls came home. And they recorded Keep On Dancing and Girls Can Tell. Uh, but again, Spectre wouldn't release them. They recorded these songs. They came out great. They worked on them. But they would not release them as singles. You think he didn't release them because he was in love with her? He, he, wanted, he, was afraid, he was afraid that they would be bigger than him. And he couldn't control her anymore. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was not a well-balanced guy. No, nah, he was okay? a little bit off. He was a, bit, a little bit off. Uh, a genius, of course, but definitely off. There was a song that he was pushing for them to do. It was a song called The Best Part of Breaking Up. Oh, yeah. And uh, that would be released as a single in April of 64. It would barely crack the top 40, but it would be one of their like well most well-known songs. Also, another song called Do I Love You, which is great, too. Yeah, Do I Love uh, You. And that would make uh, just break the top 40. They weren't having any more big hits. But these guys were successful right off the bat. Oh, yeah. Immediately. As soon as they hooked up with uh, with Phil Spector, you know, would be my baby. That was, like, gigantic. Uh, even though the Beatles had kind of taken over the world in 64, the Ronettes uh, were still pretty relevant. They, they were making a lot of TV appearances. They were on Shindig. They were on uh, American Bandstand. They were on Hullabaloo. Uh, and a British TV show called Ready, Steady, Go. Yep. Um, that was a huge show in England. Uh, by the summer of 64, they released a single called Walking in, a, in the Rain, and that would be their biggest hit since Be My Baby. Wow. It would go to number 23. Uh, in late 64, they came out with their first album. It was called Presenting the Fabulous Ronettes featuring Veronica. Veronica. Okay, and that album would only make it to number ninety-six in the num in the top one hundred, but it created problems within the band uh, because of that featuring Veronica reference. Yeah, it's okay. Pitchy. That was strictly Spectre's idea, and then everything after that would it would be like the Ronettes featuring Veronica. You know, they they didn't like that. Yeah, but funny, these girls were adopted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, they were. In uh, 1999. Yep, I remember that. I'm like, wow, man. It took a while, but they got in. They got in. It's amazing how they made it. Yeah, now, um, they were having declining popularity. All all groups were by that point. Uh, Many songs that they would record would still go unreleased for a long time. Phil just did not want them to get too big. Uh, But... What would happen is th- th- there was always room for somebody else, so the Supremes actually kind of overtook them as like the premier female group at the time. Uh, Nedra would start to get disillusioned in the band. Uh, she would talk about leaving, but she never quite did till they officially broke up. Yeah. Um, in October of 1966, they came out with what I feel is one of their strongest songs, a song called I Can Hear Music. Uh, it cracked the top 100 at 100 for one week and then died. Wow. Okay? I thought uh, that song was pretty popular. That song was, it would actually be more popular a year or two later when the, about three years later, excuse me, when the Beach Boys would do it. Uh, Brian Wilson was a gigantic Ronettes fan. I mean, uh, like the song Don't Worry Baby, 
that's kind of like the the sound is kind of similar to Be My Baby. Yeah. And that was like an homage, you know, to them. Uh when they when the Beach Boys in sixty nine did I Can Hear Music, it was I think it was a top forty hit. Um August of sixty six, they went on a fourteen city tour with the Beatles. That's like and that was the last shit. time the Beatles would be playing at all. Yeah. Okay. Uh but guess who did not get to go on that tour? Who? Ronnie. Oh my god. Okay. Because Phil said, no, you can't go. Yeah, I can okay. see it. That guy was so and jealous. He, he was afraid, you know, maybe John or Paul would, would steal <laughs> her away or something. You maybe know. she would have gone that, gone that trip. We would have never got Yoko Ono. Interesting. Maybe Ronnie would have broke up the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> I or, don't think so. Or maybe joined them. Maybe joined them. I don't know. But uh, John and Ronnie were friends. Phil knew it. So, you know, he was jealous of, of everything. Um... After I Can Hear Music bombed in early 67, they went on a tour with, in, into Germany. Um, it was decided that this would be the end of the band. This would be the final round that they would do. Uh, but what would happen is Ronnie would marry Phil right after yeah. that. Uh, Estelle and Nedra married their boyfriends. And uh, unfortunately, you know, it's a sad kind of ending to the group because... You know, a lot of stuff would be unreleased for many years. Yeah. And uh, Phil went on to a couple more years of just torturing the hell out of her. You know? She was just, like, she kept was as a prisoner. Yeah. Uh, he, she wasn't allowed to do anything. Uh, I think she started drinking a lot. I think there was some drug use a lot. Uh, pills and things like that. And, uh, you know, if you want to read her book, Be My Baby, it really goes into a lot more of that. Uh, that's a really good book. It is a good book. It Do you own it? Yes. Maybe I should borrow book. that because sure. I don't have time with this whole virus. You're going to have a lot of time if you're a bartender. <laughs> I hope not, though, man. I hope this stuff goes by quick for you guys. I feel for you. you It'll be strange. Yeah, yeah. And if you go to the, the unemployment website, it keeps scratching right now, so you got to wait until maybe a few days. Yeah, definitely. But it probably got everybody and their mother. Oh, man. Well, what, the CDC website? Which one? No, the regular unemployment. Oh, unemployment. Yeah, I mean, you won't be able to... There's a number you can call, but I bet it's busy. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, okay, so that was the Ronettes. Uh, that was... They, like they, were, they were like the first, you know, real kind of tough girls. Um, now, the second one, we want to talk about it, is Shangri-Las. Yes. Now, they were from Queens. Yes. And uh, they had this tough girl image right off the bat. Uh, it was two sets of sisters. You had Mary and Betty Weiss. Yeah. Mary did most of the leads. And then you had identical twin sisters, Marge and Marianne uh, Gasner. Okay. Uh, they were based out of Andrew Jackson High School in Queens in Cambria Heights, uh, formed in 1963. And they played a lot of school shows. That's how they got started. Talent shows, what used to be called Teen Hops. Okay, and they came to the attention of uh, a guy named Artie Rip, who was like a, a pretty well-known music executive hiring local acts at the time. And he got them a deal with Kama Sutra Records. Okay, Kama Sutra, right? <laughs> and that was in late 1963. Uh, they didn't even have a name at that time. Yeah. They, didn't, they didn't go by any name at all. Uh, it wasn't until they got signed that they decided to go on the name the Shangri-Las, yep. and that was named after a restaurant in Queens. Yep. Okay? Um, they would release some singles for the Smash label early on, um, a version of a song called Simon Says. 
uh, so-called uh, "Hate to Say I Told You So," uh, "Wishing Well." That's um, a great song. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. And uh, some of these tracks, um, Betty would sing the lead too. But by April of '64, all the girls—they were still minors. They were like yeah. 16 years old. Okay, they would get the interest of Redbird Records. Now, Redbird Records, there was a producer named Shadow Morton that was interested in working with them. Um, he was known for his, like, big, lavish productions, which would, with them, become over-the-top with a lot of sound effects and shit like that. Uh, the first single was a song called Remember Walking in the Sand. Um, and, I mean, the song starts off with, like, you hear birds chirping yep. and seagulls and, the, the, you know, you hear the, uh, the ocean and then the song kicks in. And one thing that was um, unique to the Shangri-Las is all their songs were kind of like about abandonment <laughs> and, and, you know, bad boys and bad girls and death even, yeah. you know, and stuff <laughs> like that. And it was kind of just a, a strange theme for many of these, these girl groups. Um, this, that, remember Walking in the Sand, we'll get to number five. But it was the second single, Leader of the Pack, that got to number one. That um, was like... Holy huge shit. shit. Huge, huge shit. shit. Huge shit. Um, do you remember who covered Leader of the Pack? Like, awful? No. Twisted Sister. Oh, I didn't remember that. <laughs> they did do it. It was and awful. I actually listened it's to awful. it. I actually oh listened God. to it this morning because I remembered that. And I was like, oh, yeah, this was when Twisted Sister was really going downhill. You know? Yeah, they were, they were done. Yeah, they, they were done at that point. <laughs> okay. But now these successes, these successful two singles that they had back-to-back the girls would drop out of high school. Uh, they had to make appearances. It just became a big, big deal. They were definitely kind of like, you know, washed into this whole world where they were huge and they had to, they yeah. just couldn't even go to school anymore. Uh, by the end of 64, uh, they were huge and they had performed with the Beatles yeah. at one point. Okay. And they did a very short tour with the Rolling Stones here in America. Um, also... They performed with the Drifters and a very young James Brown. That must have been interesting with yeah. the Drifters and, and James, James Brown. And James Brown, when he met them, is on the record as saying, oh, I thought you were a black act. He thought they were black girls singing that, those songs. And no, no they, they, were, they were white Jewish white yeah. chicks from Queens. <laughs> okay. Now, they started to get known for shows with Murray the K. I mentioned Murray the K with the Ronettes. And, and they, they would play at the Brooklyn Fox same, sh- same shows, same shows. Uh, this was between 1964 and 1966. Uh, they even got into promoting Revlon products, so they were getting endorsements. They were they were making a lot of money for a young act. Yeah, uh, they were really kind of like standing out. Uh, Betty Weiss dropped out briefly in that time uh, between 64 and 65, and uh, coincidentally, at that time, they had done a lot of TV appearances. Um, they went on Hullabaloo, they went on Shindig. They went on uh, everything. They went on a lot of shows. And when you look at these these, these clips now, uh, Betty's not there. No. And what started to happen was the band got mistook as a trio. And they were not a trio. No, they were. They were a quartet. Okay, with four girls. And But she would come back, and, you know, it, no big deal. It's just that live acts, li- you know, with the live shows, people thought that they were just a trio. Um Marianne and, and by 66 in the beginning of that year Marianne and, and Marge were, were in and out of the band sometimes they would replace each other so they would go back to being a trio for pretty much the rest of their career 
Uh, they ended up touring with the Sonics and a Detroit band called the Iguanas that featured a very young Iggy Pop on drums. Oh, Iggy okay? Pop. Now, you think about that, like Iggy on tour with the Shangri-Las. I, yeah. I wonder if he got any of them. Supposedly, he's hung like a fucking iguana. I don't know. <laughs> if they were David Bowie, he definitely got it. <laughs> now, the public image of the Shangri-Las was very interesting. Um, there was a lot of rumors about them. Uh, it was also the way they dressed. They wore a lot of tight clothes. They would wear leather. Uh, they looked rough. Um, you know, there was a rumor going around that Mary Weiss was wanted by the FBI for transporting a gun across straight state lines or some shit like that. Yeah. And the people actually bought into it and believed it. And it wasn't true. But they said that they didn't mind the rumors about them because it kept, like, guys away from hitting on them and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. They leave them alone. Because they were, what? They, they were, were underage, t- right? Were, well, they were pretty much underage or 18. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, they were on tour and it was the 60s and everybody was having fun and they didn't want to get in trouble with that I don't know they didn't want any part of it now so you um, think Iggy hit a Iggy hit a Shangri-La it's yeah. possible <laughs> if I ever meet him again I met him one time I'd have to ask him that question you bang one of the yeah. Shangri-La did you young. do that did you do that now again like I said most of their songs were about alienation loneliness abandonment and death uh, they had one track called Give Him a Great Big Kiss and if you listen to that song, you think it's just like a guy, a girl singing about this new oh, guy that she's oh, going no, with. No, but, no. but it's almost like sarcastic in a way. And she's saying like, you know, pink mohair, pink mohair sweater just to match his eyes. Dirty fingernails, oh boy, what a prize. Like, what is she saying? The, guy's <laughs> the, guy, the guy's like a shit. Right? That's, yeah, it. that's what she's saying. You know, uh, they had a song called Out in the Streets, which is one of my favorites from them, where she's talking about a guy that she was with that kind of gave up being a bad boy to be with her. He doesn't wear his dirty old black boots anymore, but she's going to let him go so he can be himself. That's All right? <laughs> only, only Shadow Morton would produce this kind of shit in the 60s. The this thing, is what the, he was known the for. The thing that's funny, we were listening to the song before we started. Yeah, I was playing And I was it. like, yeah. oh, my God. You never God. realized that, right? I didn't realize that. that. You yeah. tell me, listen to the word, and this girl just shitted on this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit. Yep. Now, there was another song they had called I Can Never Go Home Anymore, and it's about how she was in love with this guy, uh, and she ended up running away from home and, you know, not being with her family anymore, and she can never go home anymore, and then, like, her mother dies, and it's, it's like, oh, it's like an opera, you know, in the song, you know? She sang almost like there were little, little um, Days of Our Life episodes. Yeah, like little soap operas. Little soap opera. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Now, by 1967, uh, Redbird Records was folding up. Um, the popularity of, of girl groups were pretty much done at that point. The world had changed. Uh, in 67, I mean, music had gotten a lot heavier. Yeah, it got uh, very heavy. Shadow Morton actually went on to, to uh, produce Vanilla Fudge. Okay, very heavy band from, the, from New York. Yeah. Um, their last couple of singles did not do well. Uh, they ended up when Redbird folded, they ended up signing with Mercury Records, but they had no more hits, um, and the band would break up officially in 1968. Uh, but unfortunately, what would happen is litigations would begin as soon as their career ended, and yeah. they would be tied up for many, many years, not being allowed to record anything under the name. Uh, this went on for many, many, many years. 
Uh, Mary Weiss went on to like uh, having a private life and business, uh, doing uh, even selling real estate at some point wow. and things like that in Queens. Uh, Betty was the sister. Her sister, she was the only one that had a kid. Uh, Marianne actually, you know, one of the twin sisters, she actually developed a serious drug problem. Wow. And she would die of a heroin overdose in 1970 in Queens. Uh, Margie Gasner, her sister, ended up working for Ninex. Wow. Okay. Were you? Where I came into the company, she was already in the company. That company uh, I go to so many names, Ma Bell. Yep. Atlantic yeah, Telephone. Atlantic fucking, um... That was Verizon. Yep. But she worked for 9X. Sadly, she would die of breast cancer July of uh, 1996. Damn. Now, they would do one reunion show, okay? Uh, it was the three surviving members in 1977. It would be at CBGB's. Yep. Okay? And uh, I have some old issues of, um, I think it's Rock Scene magazine, and they actually have some pictures from that show. Wow. Uh, black and white pictures. And uh, the, uh, they, were, they were a trio at that point because one had died. Um, and Sire Records, Seymour Stein being the CEO, was interested in signing them. Actually put them in the studio, and they were recording a little bit. There was talk of a record, um, but uh, it fell apart Yeah, the recording. Uh, not quite exactly why, but, you know, the deal did fall through. Now, in March of 2007, uh, Norton Records would release Mary Weiss's first solo album. And, and she had a backup band called uh, The Raining Sound. They're a band in their own right, and they're very good. They're kind of 60s garage kind of sounding. Uh, she made a solo record called Dangerous Game. I have it. It's fantastic. Uh, me and Keith went to go see her at a free show at the Seaport. Wow. Okay. And uh, it was fantastic. She did a couple of Shangri-La songs. And I also saw her at the Gramercy Theater on that tour. But it was a one-off thing. Uh, she did not, you know, capitalize on that. Little Steven was playing the shit out of that album. He still plays, like, yeah. occasionally he plays, like, some of that music from that album. Um it's good stuff if you want to check it out. It's not totally Shangri-La's sounding. It's it's a little heavier. She's got this backing band called The Raining Sound that are really good. But she does like um, Heaven Only Knows, which was a, a Shangri-La yeah, song. Yeah, that's another good one. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, because the vocal, it was, it was always either Mary or Betty, or right? Betty, mostly Mary. Mostly, mostly Mary. Mary. Okay. Betty occasionally. I think she did um, a version of Maybe, okay, okay, early on, but it was mostly Mary. Yeah, check out clips online of the Shangri-Las. They're very interesting, uh, great sound. I can't um, believe and how they, young they were. They were very young. And they would influence uh, the New York scene going into the 70s. Um, for instance, the, you know, the New York Dolls, one of my all-time favorite bands, um, were very influenced by them. They did a cover of give, give, uh, not Give Him a Great Big, it was Give Her a Great Big Kiss. They changed it to Give Her. Uh, and Johnny Thunders later on from the Dolls would record his first solo album and do that song as well and it would be a constant live yeah. attraction whenever he played um, also the second New York Dolls album was produced by Shadow Morton and, okay? and that was because they loved the Shangri-La's music they wanted to bring them in you know now another band that was definitely influenced by the Shangri-La's was Blondie oh Okay. And the Ronettes as well. Okay, and and the Dolls were definitely influenced by the Ronettes also. Okay, you can't leave them out of this. Um, 
In fact, Blondie uh, actually did a cover of Out in the Streets. Did uh, she? Yeah, yeah, they did. And uh, then you got the Ramones. The Ramones. Ramones always were influenced by girl group bands. Uh, Joey always talked about that. Dee Dee talked about that. They would do a version of Baby I Love You off the End of the Century album that was produced by Phil Spector. And we're going to go a, into that. Another Spector, another guy. We're going to go into the making of the End of the Century album on a future show coming up. Uh, it's a very interesting story about how that, that album came together. There was a guns waved around and people being locked in rooms and all kinds of craziness in the Phil Spector mansion to get oh that my God. Stuff, to get that album done. Do you think yeah. he had um this girl locked up, Ronnie? He wouldn't let her leave the house. He had her locked in the house. She couldn't leave. She Good. said in her book she used to just stay in a nightgown all day. And it would be for like, you know, two two years. <laughs> you know? They weren't married that long. Uh oh they were just a God. couple of years. But and she actually when she got out if I, I trying to remember how, how it happened. She actually ran out of the house naked. <laughs> okay? And somebody saw her on the side of the road and picked her up and, you know, took her for help. Wow. You know? Now, I, he was physically abusive to her to some degree, but he was also more mentally abusive. He wouldn't let her leave. He wouldn't let her have a life. She was only, like, 26 years old or something, you know, 28 years old. You know, it was just, like, horrible, you know. But... You know, we'll go into Phil Spector a little bit with the end of the century album. Um, so what do you think they, these guys did? These guys make it to the uh, Hall of Fame? The Shangri Las? No, right? No. Because only had like one album, right? Also. Yeah, I mean they had they they right they they had a lot of singles and they had like uh, I don't think they had like an official album. But I think a lot had, of compilations. There's a lot of compilations. Yeah. There's a lot of greatest hits, and they yeah. just put all the songs together. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was like, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> but what do you think of the place of history? Would they be I, think I think they're very important. I think that they, they, was, they had this attitude with them. If you watch the clips, you could see like they were like doing something different. They were like badasses. They were kind of badasses, yeah. And, and the same the with pop, the Ronettes. They were the pop gender. In the pop gender, but, you know, pop, we, was, pop, was, pop could be anything almost in those yeah. days. You know, it's not like now that it, it... They had formulaic things in pop music, but, you know, the Shangri-Las were a girl group, and the Ronettes were a girl group, and the Supremes were a girl group, yeah. but they were different. They were, all, different. they were all different from each other. Uh, it wasn't all the same like today. You know, no. I, can't even, I can't even tell the difference anymore. So, know? um... What do you call it? Um, so these guys were definitely, um, like... The other girls were all, like... R&B the Ronettes that put them in R&B they had a, several categories for the yeah yeah. Outcome. I mean because because the Ronettes were black you know they, they put them in, they threw them in the R&B <laughs> thing I mean they, 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 their music not so much R&B as pop it's but, all but pop. I don't you know Ronnie Ronnie didn't care you know they, she just wanted to make music you know and and it was a very difficult time for that band because of the way Phil was I think they could have been way bigger they probably would have okay and, and it bad. wasn't because it wasn't because the songs were bad it was because he he wouldn't put them out that's 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 just wrong you know that's just wrong I can see if you don't have good material and you're yeah. like yeah I shouldn't put that out but, he's but all the songs are great out. I mean all you gotta do is buy like go on iTunes or <coughs> go on iTunes and buy a 
or you know, let's go on YouTube and just listen to the greatest hits from them. And you can see whatever you can see all the hits they have. But yeah. remember, again, I was shocked. Yeah. I didn't even know that who sang Leader the Pack into Shangri La. She sang Leader the Pack. Yep. Yeah. And Twisted Sister did too. That's <laughs> awful. That's awful. So we're gonna leave you people from the bunker. Yep. From okay. the bunker, we're live. We'll be back sometime soon. Sometime maybe in soon. the next couple of days. Yeah, we got a few more shows to do. Some with conspiracies. Conspiracy, but um, I think that um, the Ramon show is gonna be huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a well documented story. There was a Ramon's uh, documentary called End of the Century. Yeah. That came out in like I think two thousand and four that talked about this in detail. And at that point, that story really had not been known that much. But over the last 16 years, that's, that story's been told. But we're going to talk about it. It's a good one in case you don't know. Is that also, when's the Joy Ramon party? So it's going to be cancer party. I imagine. Because yeah. of all the shit. Yeah. They have so many cancellations. So many good shows This canceled. city's going to be hurting money-wise, man. Yeah. And Very every, bad. And, and Very yeah, bad. But, Imagine where you've got like fucking and, and you know the people in the service business like you, man. Like me, what am I going to do? Gonna do? I know. Well, well, listen, go well, well, underground. If you, if you feel bad for Rob, send him some money. Just you know, on Facebook here, get in touch. You'll take it. <laughs> Boy's got a drink. I'll take the drugs. Also. <laughs> you don't got. You can always send drugs. You know? <laughs> but be quiet Shh, about that. Be quiet. A nice fatty. Yeah, there you go. That's legal now. Yeah. All right, Rob. So, people, remember, don't get Get drunk, drunk, get lumped up. up. (laughs) That's a good show. Laid back. Yeah. You know what they did about doing it here?